Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All right, so we start a new series today, this uh, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord, and I thought the best way to start this was for me to secure someone that has been uh, trained at the highest levels of administering a polygraph test. And so I went and secured our chief ad, uh, polygraph admin. I mean, he's been year after year. I mean, how he's 20. I, I should know this. This is my son. He's had like 18 years of training on how to administer lie detector tests. And so I'm going to uh, invite someone from our body up to, to take a lie detector test. This is the real deal. This is a lie detector test. So I'm going to ask Danny Nix, would you uh, come up here? Uh, all right, Danny, come stand right here in the spotlight, and we'll get you wired up. I'm a non-liar. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Oh, you're already lying. You feel a strong buzz, Danny. Just like it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Turn and face them. All right. We're rolling. He's Let's... already lying. <laughs> we already told about three lies. Okay. All right. So we got to set a baseline. So, um, Danny, are you taking a lie detector test right now? Maybe. No, it's got to be yes or no. Yes or no answers? Yes. It's true. All right. He told the truth. Uh, do you love Passion Church? Yes. It's true. All right. He's telling the truth. All right. Here, now, we got the baseline set. So here we go. Now's when it gets fun. All right. Is Esther Nix the best cook in the world? Maybe. No, it's got to be yes or no. Yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> He's told a lie, told a lie right in the middle. Do we need to call for repent? All right, here we go. Are you the best steak griller in this church? As far as I know, no question about it. Yes or no? That's it. That's true. If you haven't had one of his steaks, you don't know what you're missing. All right. Uh, okay. So as most of you know, uh, Danny and Esther just had their first grandchild. Um, and because Seth and Madeline had a little baby girl named Galia. So here's this question. Do you like Seth Nix more than Galia Nix? Wow. <laughs> I like them the same. Yes or no? No. <laughs> That's false. That's, so, so he likes Seth more? Did you read it right? 
Maybe it's inconclusive. We'll, we'll go inconclusive so that you can still go over to their house. Okay. All right. So, so last, last but not least, this is the most important one of all of them. Can you beat Pastor Steve in cornhole? Well, there's no question about that. Yeah. Absolutely. He thinks he can. That's the key. All right. Thank you, Danny. All right. So he passed flying colors. He's mostly honest, although I think he may be delusional on the last one. All right. So, so there you go. There's our lie detector test. Um, this lasts a couple weeks. So get ready, somebody. Um, so, um, have you ever, uh, dealt with, uh, someone who cannot seem to tell, the truth. Doesn't it just drive you crazy? I mean, so that, so that drives you nuts. It's frustrating. Um, and, and then have you ever dealt with someone who's a, fru, a, a few fries short of a Happy Meal? You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the, the wheel is spinning, but the hamster's dead. You know, who I'm, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Like they're crazy. They're, they're just, they, they, it's just disconcerting. Here's the deal. Um, people that lie, people that are crazy, but this morning, I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about this fact. When Jesus was alive on this planet, walking this planet, there were days that people thought he was a liar and they thought he was crazy. We don't ever stop and think about that, but I want to read it to you. It's a, we can read it in the text. It's easy to see. It's in Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Uh, Mark chapter 23, verse uh, 20 and 21 says this, Then Jesus uh, entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. Here's another one. Uh, John chapter 8, uh, verse 48 and 49 says this, The Jews then said, that settles it, settles it. We were right all along when we called you a Samaritan and said that you were crazy, that you were demon-possessed. And Jesus said, I am not crazy. I simply honor my father while you dishonor me. Again, they thought he was nuts. We don't think about Jesus like that. Then in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, listen to this very carefully, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So here's the, here's the backdrop. We see that Jesus' own family thought he was crazy. Think about that. And then we watch as these religious leaders, as they hear Jesus make these claims about himself, they think he's crazy. In fact, I, I think you need to go back. They, they've come to this conclusion that he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. This guy is like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's off his rocker, right? That's what they think. But I want you to see this. I think the most interesting of these exchanges that I read to you is the one that's found in John because at the end of this statement, Jesus says this. He says, before Abraham was born, clue in here, I am. Okay, we miss it. I want you to notice what happens when he makes this claim, the religious leaders of the day 
are so angry and so frustrated that they literally look around them and they pick up rocks off the ground to stone Jesus. And we go, we read it and he says, before Abraham, I was born. Big deal. And we miss it entirely. I wanted you to stop long enough and to, under, to understand what has taken place here. Jesus, in this account, uses the very same phrase. Come on, do your Bible. Do your Bible homework. He uses the very same phrase that we read in Exodus when Moses is confronted by a burning bush. You remember the story. You remember, I hope you remember the account. Moses is minding his own business on the backside of the desert. He's taking care of sheep. All of a sudden, he sees this bush that's on fire that's not being consumed. There's a voice that comes out of the bush and begins to talk to him about who Moses is. And Moses says to this bush, who are you? And the response is, I am. And in that one statement, in that one response about who God says he is. He sets this in place that this is the most holy way to, to address God so that Jews would not even say the words I am when they're addressing God out loud. It's too, it's too holy. We have so much reverence. We're scared that he would come down and kill us on the spot because this is such a holy way to address our heavenly father. So we won't even say I am. And now Jesus walks onto the scene and he makes this statement, I am. And the Jewish leaders, the, the, relig the church folks, the pastors, the deacons, the elders, the folks attending church, pick up stones to kill him because they think that he has literally blasphemed because he, in no uncertain terms, has just made this statement. Here's what he's saying. I am God. And we read that and we miss it, but we don't even understand because of the way that the Bible is translated into English so that we can understand it, we miss it. We don't even know that there are seven other occasions before this one. This is the last one. There were seven other times that Jesus has already claimed to be equivalent with God, where he has said, I am. So, so, so we got, when, when he's using these statements, I am statements, there are seven of them other than this one that I want us to look at. What, what Jesus is forcing those folks to do in his day is to wrestle with his identity. Come to a conclusion. I'm either a liar, I'm either a, a lunatic, or I'm the Lord. Which one am I? You got to conclude. You got to make a conclusion. It's the same conclusion we must come to. In fact, C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about he, him being a great human teacher. He has not let that, left that open to us. He did not intend to. We must come to a conclusion regarding who he is. So let's begin. I want you to listen to a conversation that takes place. The same day that Jesus has fed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunchbox, he, that happens, go read your Bible. He boards a boat, or his disciples board a boat. Jesus goes to the other side somehow. 
and meets them in the middle of the, the lake during the storm. Y'all know, come on, know your Bible. And all of a sudden, these people that have been fed, 5,000 of them, at least men, who've been fed by Jesus, realize that Jesus is no longer with them and they're so desperate to see Jesus and we'll find out why here in a second, that they go find their own way and they get to the other side of the lake and they find him again. And in that same day, this is what happens. As soon as they find Jesus, they demand, we want more miracles. That's literally what happens. Listen to what it says. The folks ask him, what sign then will you, okay, he's already fed them. He's already walked on water. Pretty good signs. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is the response. Sir, always give us this bread. And here it comes. Here's the crazy one. We're going to look at the first one today. It's found in John chapter 6, verse 35. Here's what he says. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And because it's translated to English, we read it like this. I am the bread of life. But in Jesus' native tongue, he would have said it like this. The bread of life, I am. This man named Jesus from the town of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, shows up on the scene and makes the claim that he is in fact eternal bread. He, he states that natural food spoils, it rots, it ruins. And then he says that only he, he alone is the bread of life. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or what he's saying is true. So what is he saying? What does he mean? Jesus had this uh, tendency, this practice. I think it's a great practice. He used uh, natural elements to reveal spiritual truth. And so in this instance, he used what was available to him, which was bread. In fact, they just had bread because he just fed them bread. So bread is right there on, the, on their mind. He, he, he's using what happened in, the nat, in the, this natural exchange to teach them a lesson. And in it, he shows us who he really is. He, he, see, Jesus understood that Bread is a staple. Now, wait a second. Not in our culture. In our culture, bread is optional. That's why when you go to a, 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 a restaurant, a lot of times um, they ask you, would you like bread? Well, duh, I like bread. That's, that's not even optional for me. It's not optional at my house. It's just in our culture, it's optional, all right? Like, uh, like I keep the guys at uh, Landry, is it Landry's where they throw the things at you, man? I can, they, 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 Lambert's, they, they're gonna have sore shoulders by the time I get out of there because you might as well stand here and throw rolls at me because bread, but in that day, bread was not optional. Bread was a staple. In fact, Come on, let's connect here. In fact, in the wilderness, 
The bre- bread was not optional. Bread was the main course. You do know that in the wilderness, they ate manna every day. In fact, until they became crybabies and whiny rears and got tired of angel food, it was all they had. Are y'all here this morning? Okay, like they weren't counting carbs. They, they, I, I think maybe, I hope it tasted sweet. I don't know if it did, but I hope it did. So they weren't counting sugar. I mean, they ate bread morning, noon, and night. They had scrambled manna. They had filet manna. They had grilled manna. They had broiled manna. They had baked manna. They had stewed manna. Every meal, they had manna. Bread was not optional. Bread was a staple. And this is what we know. Jesus is making this statement. And what he's saying, what he's claiming is this, is that Jesus is absolutely necessary. In fact, Jesus would remind us just how necessary the bread of life is when he asked this question in Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and 37. He asked this question. He said, he, he, he's talking to a crowd and he, he asked them this question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus knew that all of the riches of the world would never diminish the need for bread. You can be the richest person in the world and if you can't secure bread, then all the riches in the world will never do you any good. Jesus is making very clear to us that bread is necessary. For, for the staple is necessary. The, 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 we must have, there is a necessity for us to have spiritual food. How many of us treat the bread as optional? How many, how many of us treat the bread as an unnecessary part of our diet? How, how, and, and then the, the dilemma is, is we go without the bread and we, don't, we, we, we suddenly realize that something's missing. Something seems to be gone. There's never enough. The, the, the new house didn't uh, fill the void. The, the new car doesn't quiet the hunger pains because bread is necessary. See, Jesus knew that not only was bread the staple, Jesus also recognized that it is bread that satisfies. Okay, do I have any, come on now, let's get real. Let's do this, you, come on. Now, you, y'all know, y'all know your pastor, like, I like a steak. Now, I like... Like, like a steak, steak. I'm not talking about one of these little like six ounce petite sirloins. I'm talking like, I want a steak. I want a Danny steak. I want to go to the Boulevard in Edmond where they have the 26 ounce bone in rib, uh, T-bone blackened. Cause I like me some steak. But you know what I've discovered is that I can eat all that steak and right at the end, the only thing that really satisfies to clean that palate and to just kind of set it off is a good old hot piece of bread. Mm, y'all are dismissed. I'm going to get me a steak. <laughs> if you back up to Mark chapter 6, Jesus is having this conversation before he says, I'm the bread of life. In Mark chapter 6, verse 27, he advises the people this. He says, do not work for food that spoils 
but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. If there was ever a congregation that understood the concept of bread that was rotted, it was this congregation. The, the, these folks had, they knew the reality of gathering manna from their, from their fathers and their mothers and their grandparents before them. They knew the account. They know it. Jesus is not talking to an uneducated crowd. They know their history. And these are folks that knew the reality of gathering manna in the morning only to discover that if you gathered too much and tried to save it to the next morning, do you remember what happened? The Bible says that it stunk and it was full of worms. That's who he's talking to here. So, so, so with this understanding, you would think that they would also know that earthly bread can never satisfy you would think that, that, that they would understand that there has to be more than this. But here they are after Jesus has fed them with the contents of a boy's lunch, seeking earthly bread and missing the fact that they will never be satisfied by earthly bread. That the only thing that can satisfy you is eternal bread. And these same people who had seen signs were so hungry for more signs of his power that they begged Jesus to do more miracles. But Jesus' miracles were always done to prove a point. He didn't do them arbitrarily. These folks were simply not understanding the message. They weren't getting it. Instead of, of seeking to apply his teachings to their lives, they responded by asking, we need more displays of your power. And Jesus knew that miracles weren't what they, miracles were what they wanted. It was just that miracles weren't what they needed. What they needed was eternal bread. And only a personal relationship with the bread of life satisfies. As Robert Capone wrote, he said, the Messiah was not going to save the world by miraculous band-aid interventions. A storm calmed here, a crowd fed there, a mother-in-law cured back down the road. Rather, it was going to be saved by the means of a deeper, darker, left-handed mystery at the center of which was for him to lay down his own life in death. Jesus wasn't trying to show them that earthly bread was satisfied. He was trying to convince them that the only thing that would fix this appetite in them, the only thing that would satisfy your soul is a relationship with the Father. That's why he says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He is literally stating, only as you go through me, because you can only get to the father through the son. And he's trying to build a bridge so that we could be satisfied in the end. You say, well, great. So let me ask you some questions. How many of us are trying to find satisfaction in everything else but Jesus? If only the bread of life can satisfy. If only the bread that is Jesus, the bread of life, I am. If only through him we can find satisfaction in our soul, 
then why are we running and looking and trying to find satisfaction in everything and everyone else? How many of us are running from relationship to relationship to find satisfaction and we come up empty? How many of us are trying to be satisfied by new stuff and new things and new adventures and new experiences and new this and new that? I need, I need a new what a, thinking that it will satisfy us. And we go, how many of you have ever experienced buyer's remorse? You go and think, man, this is gonna solve everything for me. My car got me from A to B, but I gotta get me a new car because I need to get to A to B in more style. And we go drop the money on the line and all of a sudden when we pull out of the parking lot we experience buyer's remorse simply because we're not satisfied satisfied we get all this stuff and isn't this true we wake up the next day and we're famished we're full but we're not fulfilled because only Jesus satisfies. Jesus knew the bread of life satisfies, but he also knows that bread sustains. Bread not only fills, it also fuels. So without it, you are empty and you have no power for life. That's why you see people whose lives are full, whose lives are actually empty. They have no fuel. They have no motivation. They have no power. They have no joy because they filled their life with all this other stuff, but it never sustains them. Jesus is making the claim that alone he sustains us. In fact, he goes on to say in, in John chapter 6, verse 58, he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate bread and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The bread of life sustains us. Too many of us feed on things that fill us, but they don't fuel us. So in other words, what I, what, what I think Jesus is trying to convince us of is this. A lot of us are consuming a lot of empty calories spiritually. And all the stuff that we're adding to our lives never really fills us, never really sustains us, never really powers us, never really fulfills us. Paul came to grips with this truth. In Acts chapter 17, he stands up and he preaches under the power of the Holy Spirit and he makes a statement that I want you to, I know you know this statement, but I want you to hear it again. He claims about Jesus this because he recognized that bread sustains. He says this. He says, in him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Somebody ought to write a song. Some of y'all been in this a while know that song. In him, we live and move and have our being. It was a cool little song. You could do your little holy, whatever that was, two-step, remember? In him we live, okay. But I want you to think about that statement for just a moment. Paul says, in him, in him alone, we live and move and have our being. So if in him we live and move and have our being, come on, work logically with me, then out of him, we have no life. We have no ability to move. We have no ability to have our being. Paul is literally saying the only thing that will sustain you is Jesus. 
And so, so we are not sustained and we are not fueled without him. See, my, my, my concern is this. I see, a lot, I see a lot of us that walk around and, and we're busy, but I don't see us getting bread. I, I see a lot of us that, that are overwhelmed, but I don't see you with bread. I, I, I see a lot of you that are stressed out, but I don't see you with bread. And what Jesus would say, if he was standing here right now, he would say, the bread of life I am, recognizing that the reason you're stressed, the reason that you're overwhelmed, the reason that you're too busy running around doing all this other stuff is because you're trying to be filled, but you can't be filled by anything but the bread of life. Jesus reveals the sustaining power of the living bread. Uh, I don't know if you can recall this, but Jesus went out of his way. In fact, he said it like this, I have needs to go to Samaria. He, Jews weren't, good Jews weren't supposed to be in Samaria. It's, it was the wrong side of the tracks. It was people that they didn't like and they didn't, those people didn't like them. And he goes for one lady, only one lady. He meets her at a well. The, the, the disciples leave. They can't handle it. They go to get food. When they come back, he, they've been gone a, a while and they come back and Jesus is sitting by the well and they say, Hey, teacher, rabbi, you need to eat. And Jesus, I'm going to give you the Steve Ely version, says, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. I already ate. And then he makes this statement. He says, I have food that you don't even know about. And then he tells us where he gets the food from. He says, I get this food by doing the will of my father. Hold up just a minute. So what Jesus is saying then is that because he was in a relationship with the Father, he was doing his will, that he was eating bread that they didn't know anything about. Could it be that Jesus is exemplifying for us that the only way that we ever find satisfaction, the only way that we ever find sustenance is by having a relationship with the Father? I came and just uh, wanted to just challenge you. Maybe the reason that you don't feel sustained in your own life, and maybe the reason you don't feel strong is because you haven't eaten the bread. Maybe what you're, what you're looking to is not bread. What you've been running to is not bread. What you're turning to is not bread. The only thing that will sustain you is an intimate relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus. That's it. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will sustain And if you haven't come to grips with that fact in your own life, then Jesus to you is... Only he's got to either be a liar or a lunatic because you certainly haven't made him Lord. And I just came to tell you today that there are no bread substitutes. There are not. I, 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 there is nothing as necessary as Jesus. He is the staple of a meaningful life. Get all the degrees you want to get. Get all the achievements you want to achieve. Get all the accolades. Get all the riches. Get all the glory. Get all the friends. Get all the likes. Get all the shares. And you will still discover that you're not satisfied. 
Get all that stuff and you'll discover that you can wake up in a big old house, in a big old bed, driving a big old car and be empty because it won't sustain. Only Jesus does that. Do I have any bread connoisseurs in the house? Is there, is there anybody in the house today that, 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 that has tasted some bread? I mean, I mean you've, you, you've tasted a lot of stuff, but, but man, you are a bread connoisseur this morning. I have tasted and I have discovered that the Lord is good. Is there anybody in the house this morning that has just tasted some bread and discovered that Jesus sustains me and satisfies me and he meets all my needs and without him I would be nothing and I was, I was longing for food but all of a sudden I was starved to death and I, I tried everything and everybody else but when I tasted the bread any bread connoisseurs in the house that say bread's not optional for me no, 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 get that bread over here. Throw that roll right now. I got to have me some bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. We must conclude that Jesus is Lord, that he and he alone can solve our hunger, that he and he alone can satisfy us. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. www.passionchurch.tv Remember, you can't live without passion.